Greetings. I hope you all are well. Before this plays, I just wanted to give you a heads up that partway through the sermon, my microphone stopped working. Uh, just batteries ran out. So if it feels like there's kind of a break in the middle, that's why. Um, unfortunately, nothing in that section was captured um, until I got my microphone back up and running. So I hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. Blessings. Good morning. I am on, right? Oh, yeah, then I'm definitely on. Welcome to worship here at Springfield Church of the Brethren. It is Sunday, um, Sunday, February 4th. I, I, I'm going to make this thing that everyone has probably been saying over the last week, but wow, it's February already. What happened? Anyway, uh, welcome to worship on this very bright and sunny day. I, I'm probably not the only one here who thought, man, I should have grabbed my sunglasses before I went to the car. Man, it was bright. That's it's a wonderful thing. Our first scripture comes from Matthew 5, 6, as we continue in the Beatitudes. Uh, the second one, Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's on 491, not 809. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with the righteousness he will judge the needy. And justice he will, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will lie, live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and the little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, the lion will eat straw like an ox, the infant will play near the hole of a cobra, the young child will put his hand into the viper's nest. There will never, they will never harm nor destroy all on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of my knowledge of the Lord, and the waters cover this, as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a hammer for all peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, that Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Alam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Blessed is the word. I apologize, I got a little excited and I read a couple extra verses in there. 
so in the course of preparing each week, I, I, I read, um, you know, commentaries, annotations. I sometimes go into deep dives on particular words. I actually listen to a lot of online Bible studies and sermons. I can play it at double speed, and I pick up pretty much everything they say, and it's a good way to hear how other people think about it. Anyway, I occasionally come across new ideas. And a couple of weeks ago, on the second week, I introduced one of those new ideas, even though it wasn't part of the original plan. I started talking about a ladder, thinking of the beatitude like the beatitudes like a ladder. Each, each beatitude lifts us up a little higher. It's the next step up. But then encountering something this week made me think, maybe instead of a ladder, we need to do stairs because we've hit a landing. Today, we hit a landing, a flat surface. And that we can really separate the attitudes in Matthew into two groups, the first four and the second four. You can argue there's nine Beatitudes, but the ninth one is really just a remake of the eighth one. So we're going to count those together. When we get to that, we'll do them in one go. So there's a couple reasons, some biblical and some when you look at them and kind of think about it, it makes sense. First off, Matthew and Luke both have their own copy of the Beatitudes. Matthew's is the big version. It's part of a big sermon. After all, Matthew is into sermons. Matthew loved his sermons. Luke, on the other hand, he, he put sermons in, but it wasn't his deal. Now, he liked stories and relationships, so that's what he talked about. So in Luke's version, he has the first four in the Sermon on the Plains, just the first four. I did a sermon series on that a couple years ago, I think, and they're really interesting. They go in a different direction, but it's still the first four, basically. Now, why does he do that? Well, arguably, it's because, you know, think about it. It's three years. We do not have three years' worth of material in the Gospels. You know, if, if you wanted to go walk each of the Gospels, they'd take you a couple months to do everything, you know, even if you're just walking. They're very short. So we know that Jesus spent a lot more time healing, walking, and talking. And my guess is Jesus formed his big sermon that he would give when he had the time and the space of the people, but he also had a short version. He had his stump speech. And I think what Luke tells us is the stump speech. It's got the, it's got the core of the material in it, but he's not going to take as long. Matthew, he got the big thing. So if that's the case, then it tells us that the first four act as a singular group together, and that they are core. They are the core of the message, or a core. You can't take them away. So it tells us that the second four may not be quite the same level of importance. And the other part is, when you read the second group of four, and we're not going to go into it this week that much, but when you read the second four, you realize that most of them are situational. I mean, it includes being merciful, being you know, um, undergoing persecution, and being a peacemaker. Now, you can always be kind of a merciful person, but when do you actually get to live out yet being merciful? Only if the situation calls for it. You know, if you're with, you know, many of us here have been parents at one time or another when you're in charge of kids. That's a time when you might be merciful. 
got to be merciful for your kids, right? You know, when you're in a position of power, then you can act out mercy. Whether it's, you know, somebody hits your car, or it's with your children, or your boss, and it's your employees, or your spouse, and they've hurt you somehow, then you can be merciful. But you're not always in that situation. The same thing is true with being under persecution. We're not always under persecution. We, we thankfully live in a country where we very much experience, well, experience very little persecution for our faith. You may feel it from time to time, but it's not, it's not always. And being a peacemaker, we can always be a peacemaker, but when can we actively be a peacemaker? Only when the situation arises. So they're all kind of situational. The first four, though, they are constant. They are all the time, and they build upon one another. So I like to think that when we reach the fourth one, we've kind of reached the top of the stair. Yes, you can go further. You can go in different directions situationally. But when you've hit this point, if you hold on to this point, all those things will come natural. But you've got to hit this point. And it just so happens we have four steps here. It's perfect. I've got four steps, and I'm on the landing. So here we go. We're going to go over this, and we're going to see how they build. Because I noticed something else as I was practicing. We're down here on the floor. What is the foundation that we put the ladder on? It's the same thing as the floor here. It's the law. It's the law, the, the law of Moses, the Torah, the Old Testament law. Everyone agrees upon that. Now, down here on the law, there are some saying, I'm doing it right, and you're doing it wrong. Or some people saying, I'm doing it wrong. Some people saying, everything here is wrong. You know, we're terrible people. And that, that's the foundation. Now, as I was thinking about this, I realized this is where the Sadducees stand, just flat on top of the law. That is the whole argument between the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees said it's more than just reading the words on the page. It's about arguing and thinking. It's about the shared experience of all the people of faith who've gone before us and how they've experienced God. It's not just the black and white letters. This is where the Sadducees stand. Now, there are some who realize that maybe I'm not better than everyone else. Maybe I've made sins against God. Maybe I can do better. Maybe I need to let God lead me. Now, that was our first step, the poor in spirit. Those who recognized they couldn't do it themselves. And so they stepped up one. That was a couple of Sundays ago. Now, when you step up onto this, and you become poor in spirit, what's the reaction? Well, you've stepped up one, and you've looked around, and you realize that this world is a broken place, that I have been hurt, I have hurt others, that you have hurt people, and you have been hurt by others, that we're all a lot of, well, damaged goods walking around, and we begin to mourn, we begin to cry, for this is a broken world. Now, this is where the Pharisees stop. They mourn while standing upon this step. They think they're better than everyone else. They're not getting up here honestly, but they've reached this space and they begin to mourn because they see the world as a broken place. Where the Pharisees fails, they say, it's your fault. And I'm doing better because I'm up on a step. 
And Jesus said, no, those who mourn will be comforted. When we realize we're broken and we allow God to step in, we will be comforted and things will be made better. That was the next step up. Now, what is your reaction if you suddenly find that everything is going to be all right, that God is going to make this world right, to celebrate, maybe even to have others join in your celebration. And since you've got the way, maybe they need a little bit of help. Maybe you need to beat them up a little bit. You know, grab a sword, put up your dukes, grab your guns. We're going to make this world right. Come to Jesus, folks. You know, come to God. God's going to make things right, and we'll show you. That's what the zealots do. They get here, and they get super excited, and they're like, we're going to make this world God's world. Jesus said, no, 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 no. you got to be meek. That was the next step up. Mind you, as I'm going through each of these, None of these groups are getting honestly to these levels. They're just standing upon them, thinking. So, we get to being meek. Now, what does that mean again? It's realizing that we cannot make the world by force be the way we want it to be. Instead, we have to be gentle and kind and to allow God to do what God does. I mean, there's how many parables in the Bible or stories in the Bible, and the prophets mention it too. Vengeance is the Lord's, not yours. Your job is not to rip out the wheat and the tear. God will handle that. God will handle things and make things right. So what's the natural reaction? If God's going to handle everything, I'm going to go over here and read my Bible and worship and pray. God's going to handle all that. That's the end of the sermon, folks. Goodbye. No, of course not. God says, Jesus says, no, no. Just because God's going to make things right doesn't give you an excuse to ignore the problems. You still have to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that gets us to the top step. To realize that we can't make things, we cannot, uh, uh, to realize that we need God, to realize that we are broken, that God will make us right, to realize, um, to realize that God will handle all the problems in this world in God's time, but then to act on that grace and that joy to help others get there too. It is a faith that does not grab the sword, it is a faith that does not hide in the wilderness like the Essenes did. That was the last group, by the way. The Essenes who go out and hide in the wilderness. It's not a group that says, I am better than you. This is a group that solves problems by washing feet, by clothing naked, by helping others. And I'll point out something super interesting. When we reach up here, the word that's used in the Bible is righteousness. Righteousness is a good Old Testament word. If you ever see righteousness in the Bible, it should make you all tingly. It's a good word. Righteousness is a combination. It means righteousness. It means justice. But it means like a perfectness a perfection beyond what we can reach, a perfection that we are called to try to reach. 
It is in God's righteousness that we are saved. It's in God's justice that things are made right. It's the same word. It's the same word. And the entire point of the law was that we might live righteously in perfect justice of God. We started down there, but we ended up in the exact same place. We've just gotten our feet out of all the muck that has been shoveled upon the way of God, all the rules, all the words I can't say up here, but it involves a male cow and its leavings. It involves getting rid of all the stuff that we have piled upon God's true way and said that this is as important as what God claimed. So, the reason I actually told the kids this story about the Samaritan is it's a really good example in Luke of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Because in, in the Samaritan, I mean, they are following the law. That's the whole thing. The, the, the Levite and the priest, they're following the law. The priest is not supposed to touch blood of other people. It can't be around someone who's heavily injured. The same with the, the Levite. They're not supposed to touch, you know, maybe, maybe he's not alive. But if they go touch him and they find out he's dead, they can't do their job. That's the technical way. Now, yes, it's part of the law. It's part of the purity law. But if the core of the faith, the core of the tradition, what's the most important, the most important you know, uh, commandment to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, uh, mind, and strength. And second, which is the outcome of that love, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what they've done is they've taken a part of the law that was meant to keep them pure, most to, to, to uh, help facilitate the worship, and they've made it more important than the core of the message, which is to love others, to care for others, to do what is right in the situation, not what is right according to the rules. Not what is right according to your inner compass. Not in the bad compass. What you want. It's the same argument with the Pharisees. You know, look at you out there, you know, you won't help your mom and dad who need a hand because the money you could give them the hand, you're given to the temple. And, you know, making sure you've got the little plaque on the uh, side of the temple for you there. This is the same problem that almost every single prophet from Isaiah to Zechariah, and I know he's not the last one, I think Malachi's the last one, almost the same one that almost every single one of them argues. I mean, we, we just finished Amos, and how often did Amos, and before that Hosea, and before that you know, Isaiah, they all are standing there going, I don't get what the problem is here. You guys have God's blessing. You have all this money, all of this food, and yet you want more. 
You take more and more, and those who do not have anything, you take it from them. You steal their land, you steal their food, their coats, their shoes, and you leave them destitute upon the streets. And then you claim, I am following the way of God. No. You are hungering and thirsting for bread and wine, for comfortable beds, for lavish table spreads and art. You are not hungering and thirsting for God, for the pure, true righteousness, the justice, the way of God. You ever realize how many prophets there are in the I mean, there, there are what? There's four major prophets. There's 12 minor prophets. Almost every single one of them say the same thing over and over again. Some exceptions. Jonah, for instance. Daniel's a little different. And yet the people can't hear that. The people can't hear this call to righteousness, to justice. And so Jesus has to do it again setting out the exact steps that they, we need to follow. That's the call to you. The end, of your, the end stage of your faith to coming to Christ is getting up here. To looking around the world and saying, I can help. I can wash feet. I can paint walls. I can give some money to the guy on the corner. I can make sure there are warm coats for those who are cold. I can pray. I can ask God to help. I can smile. I can give comfort. I can work to make this world into the kingdom that it was always meant to be. one of gentleness, one of recognition of brokenness, one of realizing we are all equal before God, one that helps one another. We've reached the landing. We can look out and see what our hands can do. Let's get to work. Thank you. A very appropriate hymn to go with that. If you'll stand and join in the chorus, book 147, they'll know we are Christians by our love.
go out and show you are Christians by your love. Thirst for righteousness, hunger for justice, that it may drive you to do God, God's work on this place, that we may make it the kingdom someday, step by step, brick upon brick. Amen.